Mac Power Users, episode 267, Film and Entertainment Workflows with David Wayne. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you doing today, Katie? I'm great, David. How are you? Good. I'm actually quite excited about this episode. We've got a friend of the show, David Wayne, back on. Uh, David, welcome back. It's great to be back. It feels like, uh, to me, it's like the opposite of Broadway Danny Rose, where I, I listen all the time, and then every once in a while, I get to step into the thing that I listen to, and it's kind of uh, mind-blowing. <laughs> well, you know, for uh, uh, people listening to the show, you may not have heard David was on some prior episodes, episode 50 and 147. And David is a jack of all trades in the entertainment business. He's a writer, director, producer, actor. Uh, he's been involved with several projects over the years that that I'm just a huge fan of David. So I, I'm always a little bit star starstruck when we have any on the show as well. Uh, Hot American Summer, um, the... Um, you know, Children's Hospital, you're very involved with that. Uh, now you're working on Period Piece, which is on the Comedy Network. Another period. Another period, that's right. On Comedy Central. Comedy Central. And you've just got all these great things you do. And I don't know how you produce so much, because I see you all the time. I was watching uh, New Girl with my daughter, like we were watching reruns, and you were like in it. And then we watched the credits, oh, yeah. and you, you had directed it. So it's like, <laughs> I don't know how you do all this stuff. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, the answer is I'm fortunate and very tired. <laughs> ditto uh, but the uh, but i think one of the the things that we love about you is one of the ways you do all this stuff is that you're also uh, a big mac geek and you use your computers to pull all sorts of magic tricks to kind of keep all these these things going at once and we like to check in with you every couple of years just to see how that has evolved for you i love it yeah so so welcome back to the show Thank and you. um and we've got a couple things to talk about today one of which is you made this this amazing movie wet hot american summer i don't know what year did that originally come out we shot it in the year 2000 it came out in the summer of 01 yeah and, and it wasn't a huge commercial success when it first that came would out. be an understatement <laughs> uh -huh. i think it grossed uh, seven thousand dollars the first weekend and i think its total intake in theaters was under three hundred thousand. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, little by little over the years, it became quite a cult hit. It is. I mean, and we like my wife and I watch it like once a year, just when we have it's like when you have a rough day and we're like, OK, let's let's do what hot American summer tonight. And it always uh -huh. just like cheers you up. And the thing is so amazing about that movie to me is that like you've got so many actors in there that went on to become so big. You know, and I know, um, it's, um, it's amazing. Bradley Cooper and uh, Elizabeth Banks and uh, Paul, Paul Rudd. I mean, exactly. It's like all these amazing actors and and um, and you got them all together again and you're doing a Netflix series. Uh, and um, and tell us quickly the premise, because I just think it's hilarious. Uh, basically, the movie took place on the last day of summer camp in 1981. And the TV series in total takes place on the first day of camp of that same summer. So therefore, two months earlier, uh, even though the actors are actually 15 years older, we're just basically ignoring that fact and uh, playing the story of what happened to them two months before. Yeah, and it's got all these huge stars in it. And um, yeah, there's about 60 characters and we brought every single one back. Wow. <laughs> and, and, you, and it was... I mean, you're kind of the, and I know that, you know, um, Michael Showalter also is very involved with this, but I mean, this is in a lot of ways, your baby, right? Yeah. Well, me and Michael, we, we came up with it together and we wrote the script and we produced it and I directed it. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
So you put all this together and, and then you sold it to Netflix and you've got this big series coming out at the end of this month. So, um, July 31st, yeah. and the whole, the whole thing comes out at once. Yeah. And that, that's the other thing that's amazing to me. Okay. So you have eight episodes. Are they hour long or half hour? How long are the episodes? They're, they're 30 minutes. So yeah. they're, you know, a, a normal half hour commercial show is 22 minutes. Uh, but there's no commercials on Netflix. So this, they're actually 30 minutes each. So it's just under four hours of, it's really a four hour movie that we made, uh, that's chopped into eight parts. Yeah. That with 60 actors. So that was no problem, right? (laughs) Well, in in total, the whole cast was way more because in addition to the original cast, we brought back, we, we added a million other, uh, really cool actors to fill out the story. And, uh, so yeah, it was a big, it was a big ambitious production on a modest budget and a quick schedule. And from a technical point of view, it was um, exhilarating and exhausting and challenging. Are you still carrying the MacBook pro around with you on the set? I am. And and yeah, it's been interesting. A lot of directors I've seen carry around the iPad instead. To me, I I just can't, could never do that because the functionality of the, the, the laptop is just still so much more. Yeah. yeah, it's getting closer with the new iOS nine coming out. They've they've added some things, but there are certain things like if you're used to doing it, like if you need a keyboard, you're not going to be happy with the iPad. I also yeah. just don't. I mean, I, I've always felt this. I like the iPad to for basically one main thing, which is laying in bed and watching things um, or reading things, which is perfect. But other than that, I feel like most of the time, even in bed, I feel like I want the keyboard to be connected to the screen exactly and they've gotten the macbook pro even to the weight and size that is comfortable to carry around anywhere anytime yeah and uh so i I don't see a huge advantage obviously there now there's so much development though for ios that some of the software is actually better than it is on the mac which is a shame um and that's not i don't think that's um intrinsic to the system or the hardware. It's just the fact that it's a more popular thing right now. And so a lot of more talent is going into it. Well, I, I'd also argue that the, uh, the, the touch interface can be more delightful. You know, the way the screen always reshapes yeah. itself to what you want. Like OmniFocus, I really like, I like kind of organizing my day on the iPad instead of the Mac, even though it's probably more efficient on the Mac, but there's something about it that it just feels more natural to me. But when I really want to write, you know, like write, like um, something serious, whether for the day job or the night job, um, usually I end up sitting at a keyboard and a Mac. And And I know that as you guys have talked about, the aesthetics of something do matter and they do affect your work. And so I understand that. And I do think sometimes changing it up helps you to be creative in a different way and to not sit in front of the same screen, you know, so I get that. I know. Go ahead. Go ahead, Katie. Well, I know in the previous episodes, we talked quite extensively about, you know, your workflows involving the Mac and how you took the Mac with you on set and everything from, you know, seeing shots and and changing the script and composing all that. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit about how those change. I I would definitely refer people back to some of those previous episodes and, and we'll put links in the show notes. But, you know, both from a technology standpoint, but, you know, also just in terms of a production standpoint, going from a, a serial TV production if that's even the right word, to a Netflix series, how, how does how does how does television change now in in the age of Netflix, where you're no longer producing a, a series over you know several months, where you've got one show released every week, but but now you're releasing something at the end of the July, and all eight episodes are you know boom, just going to be available for download. I mean, is is the time frame compressed, or how, how does that happen? 
I, I can really only speak for myself, but certainly in our case, we realized early on that there was no other way to approach making this project than from a production standpoint, much more like a movie. Um, from a union standpoint and in other ways, sometimes it had to be treated like a TV show, but creatively, for example, I directed all eight episodes on most normal TV shows. That's generally not how it works. But in this case, we actually just had to write all eight episodes beforehand and shuffle them up in a blender based on mostly actor schedules. And then every day we would often shoot pieces of all eight episodes uh, and just whoever, whatever actors were available on whatever day, we would shoot them and fit them into the giant puzzle we were making. So um, and then the same thing happened with the editing process, uh, where we had to pretty much be working on all eight episodes at a time, all the time. <laughs> I think I read something online that like Bradley Cooper's part, you were going to have to shoot it in New York, but then he got nominated for an Oscar. Right. And uh, so that actually worked to our advantage. So he ended up coming to the camp location and that was better. <laughs> yeah. So he came. So, but he was like in town for like one day for you and you had to get all of his parts in in one day. I don't remember exactly how long yeah. he was there, but the, it was definitely a, a, it was a, it was a crazy puzzle mixing and matching uh, everyone's schedule to make it work. But amazingly uh, due to a crack team we had and a lot of experience dealing with this kind of stuff, especially on children's hospital already uh, and some, just risky fearlessness. We were able to shoot everything we wanted to shoot uh, that was in the script and, and make it work with everyone's schedule with, uh, especially with a little bit of help here and there with the kind of VFX trickery that wasn't available 15 years ago when we did the original film. Now, did you, how much of that are you involved with? I mean, I would assume probably not much in terms the, of what the scheduling. Oh, a lot, a lot because okay. the, 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 it, it, it's part of it depends on what style of director you are. But in my view, the um, physical logistics of production, a lot of them are very, you can't completely separate that from the creative. Uh, for example, when you know that, you know, a certain actor is less available and one's more available then sometimes you have to make a call. Well, you know what? We could actually cut them out of the scene and lose nothing. And that, that buys us the chance to get them into that scene. And so these are creative calls and that has to do, that goes down the line. Like, Oh, the, the location we wanted didn't work out. Actually, this scene could take place in a bus, not on a rooftop, you know, and then it's all those kinds of decisions that if you're just rigidly trying to shoot what you had in your head, then you're missing out on opportunities sometimes. Interesting. So what, what, the script comes first, I would imagine. And then how much does all of that change based on availability, based on location, based on, and, and then how fluid is that throughout the process? At some point, do you just have to say, no, we're set, it has to be done this way, or is it is it never set? Well, it's never set, and but the director's job often is to decide when and where to be flexible. You know, there's certain things that you have to hold your ground on and every day it's a game or it's just a, it's a judgment call to say, you know what, this is important that we enough to move heaven and earth or change this or spend more money to make it happen or no, let's let this go and we'll fight a different battle a different day. And uh, the script was always changing. Um, however, unlike certain other TV shows where you're, where you're doing one episode at a time, we basically had the, the script fairly tightly written before we started shooting of all eight episodes. 
Because yeah. as I said, like the first week we shot pieces of every episode. So this was like your Lord of the Rings. Four hours, four hour movie. <laughs> Just not nearly as lucrative. Yeah. The, um, I want to step back a minute. Actually, Katie raises an interesting point about the script. Now, last time we spoke, you're doing a lot of script writing just in Google documents. Is, is that still the case? Yeah. Well, we actually try to leave even more experimentation. Part of the, uh, part of the interesting challenge with when you're like me and you're a real nerd trying to push the envelope of how, how you can get certain things done is you have to get other people on board with you uh, when you're working in a really collaborative world, as you guys have talked about a lot in different ways. And so I try, if, if it was completely up to me, I would have put together an entirely fountain based Google doc workflow fountain being the uh, script, the uh, writing equivalent of markdown. Um, and, but I re I've come to realize that, if people aren't vibing with it, then it's useless. You know, like that's a big factor in making decisions on how things are done. So I've continued to evolve based on the project, sort of modified versions of, of what would be the perfect thing to do in a pristine world. It's almost like Obamacare. You know, you have to mix the ideal with the real world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, um, on this one though, we did do a fit because part of the challenge on this is we were writing eight episodes, literally all at the same time, any particular, uh, storyline or scene may or may not end up in a different episode when it's all said and done. So we basically had what we called a mega draft and the mega draft was the entire story, the entire four hour story on one big Google doc in fountain format. And everyone, we had a writer's room for a short period of time. We had a, a, a number of really talented writers all working together. And, uh, and Michael Showalter spearheaded the, the writing from the creative side. But I was helping uh, with our great um, longtime uh, script coordinator, Matt Creedy, to make this system where everybody had access to this Google Doc. And we would, everyone would, would type in it, basically. And now that the Google uh, comments is becoming more robust and more useful every year, much more so than last time we spoke. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's become a really helpful tool and we've been doing it a lot, uh, especially on children's hospital too. For example, this just before we were speaking, I was, I did a very quick notes pass on um, a draft of a script that we're actually shooting tomorrow. And what's great about noting a script in Google docs is so often it, it just takes longer to explain what you're saying than just to do it. And so in Google Docs, I can just make the change, like I change a joke from A to B, and it doesn't make the change. It shows the suggested change to everyone else on the doc. And so just a very simple, automatic thing. And then Rob Cordry, the showrunner, can quickly whiz through it and click yes, no, yes, no, yes, no to any of the suggestions. And, uh, and, and it's, it works great. Now, in, for my money, it would stay there in the Google Doc, and that would just become the document of the of the script that everyone works off of. Um, but the the tradition of film production is too ingrained for that to be the case. So our script coordinator has to then translate everything that's changed in the Google Doc to back to the final draft file, which is the software we write the scripts in. Yeah. So this final draft is still in still the big dog. It is, but it's. Um, it, it still is. I, I, it's, it's the Microsoft word. I just don't think it's unseated just yet, but I do think there's rumblings. And uh, there was a great episode of Script Notes. I don't know if you guys heard it, where 
John August and Craig Mazin took the makers of Final Draft to task, yeah. and they were yes. there in the studio. <laughs> it was awesome. I don't uh, think they knew what they were getting into that day. <laughs> but truthfully, they 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 not they expressed um, beef uh, with the software that that I have with a lot of software. Like I think that there's there's a whole notion of professional software. There should be almost like a code of ethics of how they should operate when you know that people's jobs are dependent on what, on your software in terms of um, transparency and minimum level of competency. And I just think, uh, you know, it's not, I think that would be of interest to people beyond screenwriters to listen to that episode. Yeah. We'll and, put it in the show notes. And so I just want to make sure I understood what what you said. So it's somebody's job to go through every day through the Google Docs to see what you've changed, to see what changes have been made, and and then convert that into the final draft, and then that well, then goes through and and gets disseminated to the to the staff, to the actors, to everybody else. Yes, uh, it's not quite uh, just to just in case people are really listening. It's not exactly that. What what happens is there's two types of there's. There's three types of changes, actually, that that are noted in the Google Docs. There's notes on the script, which are basically selecting a little piece of text and saying, hey, is this really the best idea? Maybe we should do something else. Then there's just changes, suggested changes, which are like changing a line. And then there's true corrections. So what our script coordinator does is the the, the corrections and typos that people point out, he just resolves those changes and changes the final draft file accordingly. Then whoever's actually writing the draft of the script goes through the notes and suggestions and executes them in, a, in their creative way on the final draft file, which then the next draft gets fed back into a new Google Doc for the next round of noting. Now, one of the things I know we were talking about in one of your earlier episodes is that a lot of paper is still produced um, yeah. when you're producing an episode, is that still the case or have iPads or other tablets taken over that or people, are you getting script changes and updated, you know, electronically or actors now, you know, reading and getting updated scripts on, on iPads or, or are you still killing I, a lot of trees? I, I'm still fighting the fight, Katie, but we're still killing a lot of trees. And I, I, I have a rule in my office and have for years, which is do not hand me a piece of paper ever. Um, I'd never want to see it because it's just, a, I do think it's a huge waste. And sometimes we have these production meetings and they pass out these huge stacks of scripts that I know people just look at once and throw away. Um, for my creative process, there's two, there's two times when I find paper scripts really helpful. One is when we're having a table read and that's a time for whatever reason I like to just go through and mark things with a pen as we go along. Um, and on set, I have a certain kind of sides that I, which are the, the script pages that I use and I keep in my hand. So I don't have to have the laptop in my hand literally the entire time. Um, and I can mark with a pen. Other than that, uh, all the schedules and memos and scripts and drafts and uh, call sheets and all that stuff, at least as it interacts with me, is, is now electronic. Is that mainly PDF? Some is PDF, but, uh, you know, I try, I try to, whenever uh, anyone sends around a PDF, especially that just has a few lines of uh, information on it, I correct them in a very annoying way and say, don't do that. Just send text in an email. It's a lot easier for everyone to deal with. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The, um, when I uh, just, I just want to kind of close the loop on the scripts though. When we spoke last time, one of the things you did that I thought would be useful to anyone in any business really that wants to use Google Docs is you guys had developed a system where everybody would have a different color. And that right. was the way you would track who was adding what to the document. 
Um, have you had any changes to that system well, since we last talked? Yeah, big changes because the Google the Google comment system uh, largely makes that uh, unnecessary because the um, the comments automatically identify who's making the comment and when and make it into a little chain, like a little, almost like a text chain based on each comment's responses. And they also automatically email whoever opts in for it so that you can respond to the comments via email without ever opening the doc. So you can respond to a, an ongoing back and forth about a particular line uh, while you're on the go on your phone in two seconds. It's really cool. So for most noting, I've switched from the colored notes to the Google Docs. There's certain areas like we have these casting Google Docs where just based on the format, it would be too many, too many comment threads to select and comment every single name. So that we still use our color-coded, like colored initials. And in my case, around children's and other places that, I've, that I work at Wet Hot American Summer as well, I just have my, my color is dark green. And so just for clarity... Whenever I'm responding to an email chain where there's multiple people uh, talking about something or in a Google Doc, I just write it in dark green and people start to get used to it and know that that means it's me. Smart. Smart. Now, but at some point you, you kind of burn the ships with respect to the Google Doc because you have to get it out into the, um, I forget the name of the application, but the final draft. The, the final, final draft. draft. Yeah. So, um, so then at that point, do you ever go back to the Google Doc or is, is it just kind of historical at that point? The Google Doc basically dies once, yeah, once that particular draft gets published officially, then that Google Doc is archived and then and we move on. And then at a certain point, um, the Google Doc is really for group noting uh, for the most part. And so once that phase is over, I think once we got to um, shooting, for example, on Wet Hot American Summer, the, the Google Doc stopped and we were all in this. When you're all in the same room, it's a lot easier to just say, hey, look at this. Can we change this? You know, and, and that's that's the best, truly the best way to do it. It's just not always the way possible. Um, and some a lot of times when we're working on a scene, hopefully all the people that matter are literally sitting around the same monitor in, the, in a room and can just do it. Um, there's still no substitute for that kind of human back and forth. Um, but uh, the, the final actual script is still a final draft script, which then becomes a PDF that everyone can receive and print out or do what they want with. Well, I think we've got a lot more to talk about in terms of your production workflows. But before we do, I want to take a quick break and talk about our first sponsor for this episode. And that's actually a brand new sponsor uh, for Mac Power users. Uh, and that is Bushel. And Bushel is a cloud-based mobile device management solution for the Mac, iPhone, and iPad. Uh, and this is really unique because especially for someone like me who has a day job or, you know, David, maybe even you could use it in production. But what it does is it allows you to take control of devices that people have that they bring into your business. So it's basically allows you to have a BYOD, bring your own device policy, uh, where you can control the information that you put on other people's devices. But what makes Bushel different is that you don't have to have a bunch of IT people to help you implement it. Bushel has been in the business for years and they know how to make this work. It's built to be easily used by everyone. It is a very powerful IT tool that doesn't need a dedicated manager. Their user interface is very simple, clean, and easy to understand, and it puts great power at your fingertips. So for example, with Bushel, you can easily manage all the Apple devices used by members of your team. You can set 
set up and manage email accounts. You can require people to have certain levels of security and passcodes, and you can even remotely wipe devices uh, that if you need them. You can remotely install apps on their devices that, you know, maybe there's a certain set of apps that people will need um, for their business. And something that I found really cool uh, is that you can also silo these apps off um, from the other apps on on somebody's devices. So let's say, for example, that you use a, an app like Box in your workplace and you install it on your team's iPhones. If you want to ensure that the documents in that app don't leave that app, then you can stop people from sharing those documents out with another app. So Bushel can help you allow people to bring their own devices uh, to their workplace, which you know is all the rage and everybody loves to do this. It's very simple, automatic to set up for all the devices. Um, and you can get all the control that your business needs without having to lose all the time. So you can sign up for Bushel right now by going to bushel.com, B-U-S-H-E-L.com slash Mac Power Users. Your first three devices are free forever, and each additional device is just $2 per month with no contracts, no commitments. And if you're interested, you can join the Bushel Affiliate Program and even earn affiliate commissions too. So thanks so much to Bushel for supporting Mac Power Users and all the great shows over at Relay FM. You know, closing the, the loop on Google Documents, we've talked about this on the show quite a bit over the years, and it seems to me that, you know, while Apple and Microsoft have both tried to come up with online collaboration tools, they are just both still so far behind Google for this. I mean, Google Documents, with the addition of comments and some of the other features, like I don't know if you played with it or not, but the the iPad application for Google Documents is really quite yeah, good. Yeah, it keeps getting better and better. It's true. Yeah, and like Katie and I do uh, our show notes these days, our, our show prep in Google Doc, and, and interestingly, it's huge. And yeah, David is dark green in our notes today. <laughs> so, yeah, funny how that happened. Yeah, but the um, but the uh, it's you know it really just just being able to ha- say okay, let's have five people in this document at the same time and not have anything break. That's Well, that that's the great thing about it. As you said, there's never a conflict. They're never creating two copies of it. You know, they've really figured that part out and it because it's all cloud-based, obviously I think is a big part of it. And I think that the more time has gone by, I I don't care that the actual physical document is on my computer. I mean, it's still all a, a, an illusion. It's not actually a thing. <laughs> so, I I'm with you on that. All right. So um, once you have the script put together and you start getting further in production, I guess that would be the next step. Uh, Let's talk about how that's changed a little bit uh, as we are in 2015. Well, one of the other things I'm doing, you know, every day I I put out a list of exactly what we're doing in terms of shots, a shot list. And um, that's another Google Doc that I share with my director of photography and with the assistant director and other people who have a, an interest in that or a say in that. And then each day, as I think of things, for whatever day they may fall on, I just put it in the uh, uh, the living doc. And then in the morning, when we all get together, my assistant prints out um, seven or eight color copies of it and posts them around the set so and gives them out so people who care can follow along. And that system is, uh, that, that wasn't a Google Doc system that now is. Uh, I don't want to be pedantic, but is, is that one document with like mm-hmm. a list of days or is it a separate document? For it's each a one day? document with a page break in between each day. And then I just erase the page when the day is done. And so it's, it's basically a document of the shots that are left to do in the, in the whole shoot. Um, yeah. and, and, it, and it starts though with a, with a script order document that I make before we start shooting, where I think about what I want to do for each scene in story order. And then 
it turns into a chronological shooting order document. And and so you're doing this largely on your Mac? I'm doing it 100% on my Mac. Okay. All right. So like we were talking about the Google Docs uh, iOS app, you're not spending much time in there. Not too much because uh, certainly when I'm working, I'm never far from my Mac. So it's just, uh, again, if I'm traveling or on the, on the road or, or I don't have it, then yes, I, do, I absolutely use the, especially on the iPhone, I use the, the Docs app. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's as good as it is. It's not better than opening up your laptop and having it all right there in a big screen and a keyboard, you know? Yeah. yeah. And the Google Docs app has evolved, but it's still not a great experience. I mean, okay, well, do I have to open up Drive and then are stuff in Docs or then is it is it in Sheets or, you know, where exactly is it? And that, that part it, about it is super annoying. I really, oh, yeah. th- I don't know what, th- this is a whole trend where they're trying to divide up everything into different applications and, and it becomes very confusing. It, it right. really, it seems so... Um, antithetical to Google anyway. I mean, they're the company that always wants to combine everything together. And I was very comfortable using the drive site. And now, cause like for, for Mac power users, we have Google spreadsheets and Google documents. And to get to both of those things, I've got, it's like extra work because they're not on one screen anymore. I'm so with you. And they've, they've made the photo management really weird. Now there's like five places where you can store photos on Google and they're all different and, or they're overlapping, but, very confusing and it unnecessary. Also, yeah, and this also has some impact on search, which is what, you know, one of the big reasons people use Google to begin with. And that you're, you've got different buckets rather than having one big bucket. When you go to search, um, you may not find something that's in a spreadsheet when you're searching in Google Docs. And yeah. I don't, I don't really understand. Uh, one, one hack for this, for everybody out there is um, if you are in a Google Doc in your browser and you tap on the little um, icon to the upper left side of the screen, like if you're in Docs, it's blue. And if you're in Sheets, it's green. At the bottom, there is a, um, if you tap on the word Docs, it'll give you a list of all the different sources, Sheets and Slides. At the bottom, it's got a little icon there that opens up Google Drive, which was traditionally the place you would go to. Um, so what I recommend is you open that up as a separate tab and then save it as a bookmark. And, oh, smart. and then you can still get kind of back to everything, but uh, it's clearly, you know how Apple does things where they're, they're pushing you a direction and yeah. you know, in- inevitably you're going to go that direction because you don't have a choice. This seems to be Google's doing the same thing with the, uh, the way they're breaking up these, these products. I'm trying so hard to simplify things and whenever, you know, whenever I add something to my tech life, I try to take something away so that it's not just keep, doesn't keep multiplying. Uh, and I haven't really looked into this yet. I wonder if there's a way, you know, I use Alfred and if I could, and my normal opening search could be searching Google Docs as well as what's local to my drive. That would be perfect. I think that's completely doable. Yeah, it's totally doable. There's a Google Docs app. I think it's a menu bar app that basically creates, there's a Google Docs app for your computer that basically creates shortcuts of everything in your Google Drive on your computer. Mm, And I would imagine if if you did that, then it would be... Well, here's the weird thing. Yes, I know that. And except the problem is you have to physically put every uh, document that someone else shares with you into your drive or else it doesn't show up that way. That's another truly annoying thing. Maybe I'm missing something here. Okay. Just just Google search Google Docs with Alfred. And the first thing that pops up is a um, is is a workflow that you can download. All right. I'm going to get into that. I'll I'll, I'll add a link to it to show it. You can create a, a search parameter in Alfred or LaunchBar, for that matter, 
to say, you know, search this website. And so right. I think if you connect that to your Google Drive, as opposed to Google Docs and Google Sheets, you connect to your Google Drive and you had a search parameter, you should be able to quickly open Alfred. Yeah, basically that's what it is. It, what, what, yeah. it gives you the instructions for adding Drive. And, I'm, and I imagine this would work for LaunchBar too. It's actually, I, I lied, it's not something you download, but it gives you the instructions for adding a search parameter um, to Drive in Alfred. So if you type the drive, drive space. It's searching your Drive that's on your laptop, right? Because No, it's searching your Google Drive website. Okay, all right. It appears I'm to, to, yeah. I'm open to it. I learn something every day. There you go. Happy to help. <laughs> Happy to, to lend just a little bit. I, you know, I do like thinking that when I, because I, I um, you know, besides all this geek stuff, I, your sense of humor just tickles me. And you know, it's like even just the, that new, um, and I screwed up the name already. We've only, we've only watched one episode. <laughs> another period. Pe- another period. Just as soon as I saw the, the name of one of the main characters, mm-hmm. I'm like, that's David Wayne. That, that is a David Wayne show. <laughs> I have to uh, confess that uh, the people who make that show are people I know and love and have known for a oh. while, but they are, I have nothing to do with the, the writing of that. Um, oh, really? <laughs> I just, uh, I play one of the characters on it, but it is great. I love it. I definitely yeah. recommend it. Another period. It's on Comedy Central Tuesdays at 1030 PM. Well, uh, anyway, so, um, so uh, you're searching Google Docs and um, and you're you're working now when you do your like your daily list, do you do that at the end of the day? I mean, I mean, do you, like we've not talked on the show about setting aside a time to kind of mindfully plan a day. And I would think in your business, that's even more important than most businesses. Yeah. Uh, how I, do you do that? I mean, I have a theoretical practice that I've evolved over the years, but it's almost never followed that well which is basically that to try to keep on top of the to-do list, which I use, I still use things, um, which is another piece of software that I have a love hate relationship with. Um, But it's just for me, I'm still struggling to keep that to-do list from blossoming, blooming, exploding every day. Um, I'm getting a little bit better, uh, but especially when you get really busy, things just, everything goes out the door. And so carving out that half hour or whatever it might take to really get into control is tough. But, but I, uh, I look to you guys for inspiration from time to time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, we talked about this on the show, so I won't go on at length, but I, I really think that when, when the bullets are flying is, is when you most need to carve out that time. Exactly. But it's uh, hard. It well, is hard. I mean, I do, you know, I, 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 the way you've talked about going to trial is the way it is when I'm shooting that, those days, there isn't much of a to-do list as, because it's like, you know, exactly what you're going to do every moment of the day you have to wake up and, and kind of uh, play whack-a-mole on set until you pass out at night. Um, but uh, so keeping track of the things that you do have to do outside of that. And uh, like you, I have my family, my kids, and I have other t- things I'm trying to do in my personal life as well as multiple projects in business life. And I think one of the things that, that you and others have talked about that I think is the most helpful piece of advice I keep giving myself is it may not be a fault with the system. It's really more that I'm trying to just uh, bite off more than I can chew period. And I just have to admit to myself the number of things that I'm just not going to do. Yeah. Boy, that's hard though, isn't it? It is, but it's liberating, you know, it's liberating to just be like, you know what? I'm just, I'm never going to do this. Let me just check that off. It's gone. 
Yeah, that's one of the things I've one of the we're going to do a show later about my uh, my big uh, entrepreneurial move this year. But I'm one of the things so <laughs> curious about that. One of the things I've noticed is, you know, when I first started is I was afraid to say no to anything because I I've got, you know, four people to feed. And, you know, so I can't say no to anything. And and now I'm realizing, actually, I have to say no to things still. And um, sure, that's an interesting thing. But, you know, that's not today. Um, so. So you, but so you're working in Google Docs to get the thing going, but then when you show up on set, you're really, um, I would imagine you're not using things and Google Docs. You're probably just kind of being mindful of the moment. Well, yeah, on set, I have my shot list and I have the text of the sides, you know, the, the, the script pages that we're shooting that day. And that's my Bible for the day. And then I, excuse me, I carry that around in a, uh, a manila folder that I just literally don't let go of all day. It's either in my pocket or in my hand. And, uh, that's pretty much all I refer to during the day. And then at points I pull out the laptop, which I just keep in a sleeve on my chair, uh, to research something or look up something or, um, reference uh, script pages that are coming up in a, in a future day or deal with it's a lot, you know, you're, when you're directing something like this, you're planning out the next few days and all the way to the end of the shoot at the same time as shooting what's happening today. So I'm looking at casting uh, reels. Uh, I'm looking at video of auditions, what, whatever it is you need to do in the cracks um, is the thing. How how do you get those things on your laptop, uh, like video of casting and things like that? Casting people that I uh, work with generally use a, a service called Castit. I think it's castit.biz and they, it's basically, it's really just a, uh, you know, a, a service for uploading video, just like any other that's designed specifically for casting. So you click on a certain character that needs to be cast. And then you see all the people that came in and read for it and you get the clip of their auditions as well as right next to it. You see their list of credits and who they are and when they came in and stuff. So it's a, it's a nice, or it's, <laughs> I certainly have, as with everything, I have my issues of exactly how the UI works and I think it could be a lot better, but that's, that's a lot of what casting directors use. That actually kind of raises an interesting question though. How important is access to the internet on a movie or a TV shoot? Absolutely crucial. There's, I mean, it's funny. I think about, we shot the original Wet Hot American Summer with basically no internet. I mean, there was internet, we had email, but very little, you know, it was kind of a bonus situation there. Um, and this, uh, and certainly when we were doing the state, there was literally no internet, uh, in the first years of that, um, on our shoot, it's crucial. And we, it, one of the first things we do when we go to find a location is make sure there's internet, figure out how to make sure that, that it works and it's dependable. Um, and what, one of the things I've seen is that even in this day and age and here in the United States, it's really, really not as easy as it sounds to set up internet somewhere, even if you're spending money and time trying to figure it out ahead of time. Um, we shot, uh, uh, that movie wanderlust in Georgia out in the country in this house in, in a rural area, there was no internet there. Um, we knew we needed it. And so we called this company that came with a bunch of guys and a bunch of electronics and they set up all this stuff to have, you know, robust Wi-Fi around the whole location. And it didn't work at all ever. It was a disaster. And so how, how did you manage it on this, um, this, um, wet hot American summer series? You know, it, it was a combination of, we did set up internet there and they had some internet, I think where we were shooting on this, we shot the whole thing on this ranch in Malibu called Calamigos, uh, which, uh, people might remember, 
remember was where they shot the the show The Biggest Loser. Um, oh, but yeah, The Biggest User, Loser Jim was transformed into the Wet Hot American Summer Dining Hall and theater. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's a little that's, piece of trivia. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, we I always I, I tether my iPhone as an as a plan B, and I end up using that a fair amount. And we also had these little uh, boxes, you know, that, that set up internet and with multiple providers, we have to just have a lot of backups because the, whatever system you have never always works. Yeah. It sounds like, because you're, you're relying on cloud documents and cloud services to make the whole thing work. So if the internet goes down, you're in big trouble. Yeah. Although, although once you're actually on set, as I said, now I'm got a piece of paper in my hand, so I'm not a hundred percent you know, we we go forward without the internet as if necessary, but it's certainly annoying for everybody. But once you're on set, isn't that hours at a time? Yeah, it's twelve hours. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, for the most part, we don't go all day. I mean, it, it it might come and go. It might be spotty. You know, we're not uh, on a on a film set. Every second counts, and so you're racing against the clock for everything. So we don't depend on the live internet connection to actually get the current shoot done but we do to to pre-plan and so on well i i we one of the stars of this episode is david's uh macbook pro which we've been referring to so i want to hear about that <laughs> and uh and what you're what you're running on it in just a minute before we do that let's take a break and talk about our sponsor the folks over at automatic and it, automatic, you know, people say, well, what is that? Well, it's a connected car adapter that plugs into the diagnostic port in your car. And just about every car made since 1996 has one of these ports. So uh, you get that, this little device, you just plug it in there. And then the genius is it's got a Bluetooth in it. It pairs to your iPhone. And what this does is turns your iPhone into a smart brain for your car. And they talk to each other and it gives you all these great benefits. They've got a, a free mobile app and they've got a website. So they've got a whole ecosystem you can work in. And then there's a whole bunch of things you can do with it. Like uh, if you're David and you're going out to drive to potential uh, locations for shoots, it'll track your mileage and you can keep track of that for your taxes or business expenses or whatever you need. And all of a sudden this is done with so much more accuracy than you could ever have done it before. And there's a computer record of it. They even can connect it to a Google spreadsheet and you can print out a spreadsheet and it gives you all the great details. It's got crash detection in it. So if your car, if it detects, crash because your diagnostic part knows when that happens it can use your phone to call help for you and one of the things the automatic people do is a human from the automatic company they'll call you and say hey is everything okay and to me this is like the big selling point i, I bought two of them in addition to my own i bought one for my wife and daughter and for no other reason um if my daughter's in a crash not only will they call her they're going to call me right away so i'm going to know immediately um, it can decode engine problems. So if, you know, you get that, uh, that, that cryptic light on your dashboard, you can actually see what it means on your phone and even clear it if it's simple. And you can improve your own driving with real-time feedback because it, 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 it scores your driving, which is great. So uh, there's so much more you can do with this. There's third-party applications that perform it. Like if you want a set of, of dials showing a bunch of performance things in your engine, you can put it on your phone and just put it on your dash and you're good. They've got stuff for fleet cars. FreshBooks supports it. Uh, it uses if this, then that rule. So you can say, when I leave my house and turn on the car, you know, make sure to close the garage door or, or even better yet, close Katie's garage door, no there matter you where you are in the world. Uh, so there's just a whole bunch you can do with this thing. It's a it's hundred bucks, but 
but you get a deal through the Mac Power users. You get 20 bucks off, so that's 20% off. Uh, to get that, go to automatic.com slash Mac Power. Actually, just slash Mac Power. They didn't put the users in there because it's just power. Uh, automatic.com slash Mac Power. It ships to you in two days. And this is the great part. 45-day return policy. So if you get it and it doesn't live up to your nerd dreams that we're talking about here, send it back and they'll refund you. Free shipping. Great company. Great device. Go check it out. And thanks, Automatic, for sponsoring the show. And thank you for me, Automatic. I appreciate it, too. <laughs> do you have one no all right well, oh, when you when you sell it i want to buy so we we'll probably all have right it tomorrow we'll, we'll have to get you there. one because it's yeah. it's really fun i don't know i i like i'm a nerd so what can i say but the uh, <laughs> so so we've been talking about this computer now the last time you were here you had switched from the macbook air to the macbook pro yes and, and where um, where are you now i still have the i think it's the same one uh it, i might have had it replaced to like they had to fix it at one point and ended up replacing it. I, I don't remember, but I still have the MacBook Pro. You got like very the first, happy. the first Retina 13 inch, I think. I believe so the late 2013 one. Yeah, nice. So and, and, and actually, we just at my urging the my company the, the company that I do a lot of work with, with that does Children's Hospital and did Wet Hot American Summer. I they had five year old Mac Pros running all the video editing, and I got them to get the new ones, and they're ten times faster. Wow. Yeah, that happens. And yeah. the, are they doing the editing on, on laptops or on? No, no, on, on Mac Pros, not, not Mac, Mac okay. Pros. Okay. Oh, the, 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 the trash can. The, yeah, oh, nice. wow. Yeah. And those, those have been really great. Uh, and that's been a, a big step up in our editing. So late 2013, that's, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's fine for what you're doing, but it's getting a little long in the tooth. I know. Well, I guess for me, uh, it's true. It's getting to that point where. It's time to uh, look around, but I, I have they but, really, but you're not editing, you're not editing video on this. Are you? Oh, I, I are you? Uh, although not, um, not all the time, but I do, I don't do my big editing on these, on my laptop. I do uh, little things, you know, to, to supplement the main editing that I do. But for example, though, I'm about to hit the road for a couple of weeks and I'm going to be needing to do some avid editing on the laptop and passing the project back and forth. Um, so I have to get that set up. The, one of the problems is that the, the software, like the, for example, the Avid software doesn't work on Mavericks. I mean, or on, Yos on Yosemite. Really? So, so it's still on Mavericks. I don't even know if it works on Mavericks, honestly. Um, it's just this constant, uh, so, so do you, can you not upgrade? And it, it just, it, it's very annoying when software companies are, um, not following along what's going on. <laughs> is it just is it just the one application that holds you back? Well, I'm I I'm on Yosemite and I, I keep it current and then just let the chips fall where they may. I actually haven't done editing on my laptop for a while, really for this reason. I tried to set it up when we were shooting and I realized it was just too much trouble. So when I wanted to actually edit, I had to just go to the office. I'm I'm, but, I'm still waiting for a better solution on that. And my guess is with a two year old computer, you're probably running into hard drive storage problems as well. No, I'm really not. Uh, well, particularly because of the uh, fact that I took all my, I was doing, I'm a music hobbyist like you are. And I, I took all that stuff off for now um, when I did a nuke and pave. And so I actually don't, I have a 500 gigabytes and I just don't seem to, I haven't had storage issues lately. Well, if you have if you have room, one option is to set up a um, a virtual machine with an old copy of OS X. Oh, can you do that? Yeah, I think you can with 
parallels. Don't quote me on this. I'd have to research. Yeah, you've been you've been able to do it for a little while now. You may have to use the server version, but I don't I don't think that's the case anymore. But you've been able to do it legally for a little while now. Mm Hmm. License wise. Well, then you could then you run Avid out of that, and then you know have the shiny new stuff for the rest of your computer. That's really interesting. That might be worth looking into. I actually just set up my own. for the first time, finally, I figured out how to set up kind of a home network so I could access my bigger archives uh, when I'm home or when I'm not at home. Nice. The um, what now? You had said that uh, you recently nuked and paved your MacBook Pro. What led to that? Oh my God! It was slowing down to the point where it was becoming unusable. I was getting the the spinning ball all the time, and there was just a million things that I could just tell. It was one of those things where it had glunked up over the years, especially when you, these days, you know, you don't do it when you get the new system software. So it kept inheriting problems, I think, uh, and little pieces of it. And I knew there was all this um, old software. Cruft. Cruft that's hard to identify. And even with Hazel and even with other things, you know, there's, there. I've come to believe that there's still no, real substitution for a full-on nuke and pave and boy did it feel great (laughs) yeah and it's a lot easier now because a lot of your data is probably on the cloud already exactly and And your apps and everything so much is on the cloud and i kept my old uh um super duper backup of my old drive for a long time so that when it came time in fact uh, we're recording this using skype call recorder which i realized i hadn't reinstalled since the nuke and pave so i reinstalled it no big deal took two seconds but um it's great to to do that and just to go to force yourself to go through that process of not reinstalling things you really don't need anymore um and it sped up my computer a hundredfold it felt like a brand new machine I actually had to do this recently as, as troubleshooting. I ended up needing to get a new logic board. But, of course, before you get to that point where they'll replace hardware, you have to go through so many steps. And one of the things that Apple wants you to do is completely erase everything on your computer, reinstall a new OS from scratch, and then reinstall everything from scratch and not from a backup. You know, just restore yeah. your essential documents from backup. And and we lovingly call that a nuke and pave, you know, burn how it down. Free, and, how much free time do they think we all have, I wonder? Well, you know, it was just like, seriously? Yeah. And, 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 you know, I started the conversation with, pretty sure this is a video issue and the video card on this machine's on the logic board, so I think I'm going to need a new logic board. Well, you know, weeks later, what do I end up with a new logic board? But, There's you know, nothing- I get it. There's nothing like talking to the uh, tech support and knowing that you're, you know, this better than they do. I know, but you, you have to jump, you have to jump through the hoops. You have to jump through the hoops. So, but um, it's not bad. I had to do it and it, you have to set aside several hours to actually do the process and make multiple backups. But I was astonished. I mean, the Mac app store has made this very, very easy because you just go into your purchase history in the Mac app store and click download, 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 and boom, yeah. your files are back. I mean, it's, I, I really wish the Mac app store had better policies for upgrades and things like that so that I could buy all of my apps from the Mac app store, you know, and, yeah, and they totally. weren't so stringent on sandboxing. But until, and I don't know that that day will ever come, but for other things, then, you know, you just go and you down, you download them. But with a little prep work, and I've put a link in the show notes to an article that I wrote about it, it's not bad. And all of my data, well, not all, but I would say 80 plus percent of my data is in various cloud services now. 
Yeah, totally. I think any, it's great any gotchas? To do. Were there any gotchas? Anything you said? Oh, how did I forget that? You know, like like there Hazel were, Rules is a, is a good yeah, one. People forget. There were a few, you know what? There was one that was my. I had uh, that day one app, and it took me a lot of detective work and a lot of googling to, to figure out how to get my day one app data back because it wasn't in the cloud for some. I don't know for some reason I couldn't. Oh, you didn't sync it to iCloud I, before? I, I guess maybe I did. I don't know. I but I had. I don't remember, to be honest, but there was a few little hiccups like that where I was like, how do I get that over? Or how do I get my messages archive over? Because as I said, I started as if it was a brand new computer. Um, so I, like, for example, I wish the messages archive, I was just looking at this recently. Why can't that be an iCloud sync thing more easily and specifically? Because, uh, you know, I have seven gigs of messages data on my phone that I'd love to get rid of all those photos and videos because most of them are already in my photos library, which is a separate thing. They still haven't figured all that out. Yeah. Can't, but, can't you just delete those messages and they, do you want to delete them or do you not? Want well, to, I'd, love you want... to, I'd love to keep the messages threads as the archive, but even deleting, deleting the threads doesn't actually delete the data. You have to do that separately. And there's this whole sort of slightly confusing system on how to do it, which I've been reading about just the last few days. Cause uh, I filled out my iPhone and I needed to dump a bunch of stuff, but uh, well, yeah. Yeah. We've had, um, you know, there are apps out there that you can't archive it off. But it, it's not consistent. Like when you reset things, you're not going to be able to just import it back in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, I I understand it's a complicated system and these are human beings trying to figure it out. But there are certain things that I think should just be simpler and and synced better in today's day and age. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It, it's, it's amazing, though, when you think about how far this stuff has come. Because uh, I remember when Anuk and Pave was like a like a two day project, and you were right. you know going to get floppies, and you know. But it, you know like, what's interesting though is like people, you can say that, but the truth is, it, it's it's it's. For example, as you guys know, I have a lot of issues with the photos system that they have right now, but it's not that I I don't buy this idea of like you should be thankful. Think about how hard it was you know ten years ago because. I can't do that system that I did 10 years ago, even if I wanted to, or, I mean, I guess I could, but it's just like, you're being, we're being asked to buy into a, a whole set of a system that comes with all these headaches that they didn't get rid of before they asked us to switch over to it. And, and, and you really don't have much of a choice. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you, unless you truly want to uh, make a big aggressive effort to work on an entirely old system that, that, is from 10 years ago, then you have to use the current software, et cetera. Yeah, that's a good point. Now, now Dave, we haven't talked too much about um, the iPhone and the watch. Do those play a, a role at all as you're going through this stuff? Yeah. Well, I mean, I use the iPhone constantly uh, to, a bit, you know, when, whenever I am, am not in front of the uh, computer uh, to, to keep in touch, um, probably too much. I, I'm, keep reminding myself to just put it the whole thing away when I can. Are you, are you using the big one or the kind of big one? I bought or? the big one and I returned it. I, I yeah. it was too, <laughs> too big. I didn't like it. Um, yeah. I just didn't like the way it felt in my hand and filled up my pocket. I just didn't like it. And I realized I don't care. I, I the, the, the six is plenty big for me. Um, and I'm very happy with it. It's extremely happy. Dave, and it, yeah. David keeps flirting with the six plus. I just, yeah. I, I don't see, I mean, I did, I had it for a, couple of weeks and i was just like nah, i know no need for it 
I just did. Yeah. Yeah, I, I returned mine. Um, I did get a used one later just because my books were all going on it and I wanted to make sure they didn't break and look mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. But, um, but that one is going to my daughter. So I still like the six too. Yeah. Um, the, uh, did you get an Apple watch? No. And, uh, I mean, I've said this about everything, including a cellular <laughs> phone, but, um, I, at the moment I, I don't see it in my life. I, I just don't, I have a watch that, um, tells time, even when you're not holding it up in front of your face, uh, it's a Timex, um, and it works great. And I just don't need, I just can't imagine I've, I've read about it and I've, I've listened to you guys talk about it and I just, I'm not, I don't need it right now. Well, don't, yeah. don't play with one is my advice because you'll, you'll end up getting one. <laughs> I've seen, I mean, I have friends who have it. Rob Cordry has one and I just sort of, I see it and I'm like, eh, I don't know. I don't, I just don't, it's interesting. I, I, I yeah. like my simple watch that has two hands and tells you what time it is. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Um, one of one of the things we were talking about before is you mentioned that you you don't necessarily type as much on your iPhone as you used to. Oh, I definitely have gone all dictation all the time, more and more. And it's really uh, that's been a huge change, especially living in L.A. Now, I, I moved to Los Angeles two years ago. And um, so I'm in the car all the time and I'm constantly dictating. And I use Siri pretty much 90 percent in the car, especially. It's great. Um, and so, I, and I find myself dictating all the time, you know, you get in the habit of it now. And so I could just be sitting on my desk and I'll dictate an uh, email on my phone or whatever. Siri has really come a long way. And I know that, um, we have listeners who write in and say, well, it, it was terrible. So I just gave up on it. And my advice is always go back. And, and the thing you're talking about isn't even really Siri. It's just dictation. You tap the little microphone next to the space bar. Yeah. And you can put words in as fast as you can talk. The one thing I can't believe they don't have is backspace. Like, it just seems like the most obvious, helpful thing. Like, go back, go back. You know, if they had that, then you'd never have to touch the phone. Yeah, it's an interesting interface um, difficulty um, trying to edit with your voice. Yeah. Um, Dragon Dictate's the best at it. And and Dragon Dictate, frankly, is, I think, still the best dictation on the Mac side. Um, Does it work on the iPhone or no? No, they don't. Well, they, they have an app, but I don't think it's, I think when you're on the iPhone, just use the microphone on the keyboard. It's so much faster and it exists everywhere. But right. uh, on, on the Mac, if you're using Dragon Dictate, there's actually, you can say backspace and you can say scratch that. And there's a whole bunch of, there's a whole editing like command, but yeah. ironically, where you that's where you need it the least because you have a keyboard and a mouse in front of you. Exactly. And I, I just feel like it would, how, how you know, everyone says this and you don't know what it is to be a coder, but I really just don't understand why they can't add one command, which is go back or backspace, back one word, back one letter. You know, it would, uh, then you don't have to go and do that weird thing on an iPhone where you have to press and wait for it to magnify and go back. Yeah, you're going to like the feature in iOS 9 with the keyboard where you can um you can tap, you can press with two fingers on the keyboard itself and move it around and it's like a mouse cursor. Oh, great idea. Yeah. And, I've seen and, that on on Android phones. That's great. Yeah. So it's going to be on the it's going to be on the iPad, but it also, I can tell you, works on the phone. So and it seems kind of silly on that little screen, but it's actually really really useful yeah, so you can get in. I'd use it all the time. That sounds great. Yeah. One of the problems with like the backspace and, and go back and dictation on the phone is, I mean, the, the best way to get a good take, and I'm sure you figured this out already, but some listeners may wonder, is to, is to dictate a whole sentence. If you dictate one word and wait for it to show up, 
that's much less likely to be accurate because it need the the program actually needs to see the words around it. It's amazing how it corrects itself. I see it do it wrong, and then I'm about to correct it, and then it corrects itself. Because as soon as it has more context, like it it yeah. knows, like it knows, like the the one everybody always uses as an example is ice cream. You know, you can mm-hmm. say ice ice cream, like I'm yelling, or ice cream, that thing you put in a cone and like to eat on a hot day. And they sound the same to it. But if you look at the words around it, it's going to know what the context of it is. And so if you're dictating, try and have the whole sentence in your head before you start talking. And if you say the whole sentence, it's going to be right a lot more. And then there's the the trick to put uh, in your address book things that are spelled strange that you want in there. Yeah. Why don't you tell us about that? Well, I guess if you just put somebody in your address book and you give them the name, you know, um, superstar whatever whatever words you have that are that are spelled in a way that's unconventional uh then it learns them because it thinks they're someone's name yeah yeah and the nickname field is yeah. i've also been having a lot of fun do you know this app voice dream yes well, we talked about talked this last about time yeah it's great it's it? getting better and better and better the voices are better and i'm using it all the time and i replace little you know if it doesn't know a certain word or a name that i listen to things about a lot i, I replace it and it's great it's been it was super helpful so and, yeah, and for, let's go ahead katie well i was going to say there's also a trick in siri that if it mispronounces something like somebody's name you can you can correct siri and say well that's not how you say their name and then siri will offer you some alternate pronunciation guides Oh, that's great. Yeah, I forgot about that. Right. But I'm sorry, you're talking about voice stream. Go ahead, David. No, but that, that, that I think I remember, I did talk about this last time. But yeah, it's just a great app if you want to need to listen to text things in the car. I listen to scripts and books and things and articles. It's great. I listen to my hey. whole pocket feed, basically, on voice stream. Yeah, you can you can drop any text into it and it, it reads it out to you with, with really nice voices. And some funny ones, too, if yeah. you want to go there. Uh, do you okay. want to know something else that I've been using a lot? Yeah, totally. Um, the one thing that I've used 10 times more now that they've gotten it really good is this app called Annotate, which used to be Gluey. Um, it's probably okay. similar to Skitch, uh, but basically, you know, it, it, it does a screenshot that you can then mark up immediately and quickly. And then it can, with one tap, goes either to a Dropbox link or to just copying the image itself. And I'm finding myself, now that I'm in the habit of it, I use it 30 times a day. Uh, in emails and texts in iMessages, just saying like, "Hey, look at this," you know, or what do you have, and or doing a little joke with somebody. It's just a great way to quickly illustrate what you're trying to tell someone in seconds. You, you did a thing on your, um, I think it was on your blog with Ben Affleck, right? Exactly. And and I was actually looking at it. It was funny, but I was also thinking, how did you do that? How do you draw those lines in that box? I actually did that on Photoshop. Um, okay. But I could have probably done it in Sketch, but uh, well, it's because it was two photos, so I th- that's what I ended up using layers in Photoshop. But I, pr- I, I ended up spending more time in them than I should have. <laughs> well, we all have our weaknesses, right? <laughs> For sure. <laughs> David, I know that you want to talk a little bit about photos um, because you have a lot to say about that topic, and so uh, why don't we head there next? But before okay. we do. I want to take a minute and, and talk about our sponsor for this episode, Transporter. And you've probably heard us talk a lot about Transporter. Transporter is a storage device that lets you create your own private cloud for syncing, accessing, protecting, and sharing your data. And one of the things that I really like about the Transporter solution is that it is 100% under your control. This is your Transporter device, your hard drive. You s- decide where you want to put it, and you control where your files are stored and who has access to them. And all the 
the communications back and forth uh, through the transporter are are encrypted. So if you like Dropbox, you're going to love Transporter because out of the box, it sets up just like Dropbox. With Transporter 2.0, you can create an account create a folder on your Mac or PC. You put documents in these folders. You can decide who you want to share them with, where these files are going to go, what the permissions are, drag and drop to sync any file or folder and share it with somebody. Share a folder with just a click of a mouse, right click. You can share a link and send it off with somebody. And it is that simple to share your files. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about how I use Transporter. You know, David was talking about how nuking and paving his machine made a huge difference. Well, Transporter lets you have these special folders. And so what it will do is it will mirror the contents of these folders on the Transporter. And you can set up a couple special folders. You can set up the Documents folder, the Desktop, the Downloads folder, and there are a couple of others. And I've set up my my documents folder to mirror on my transporter, which means anything that's in the documents folder on my Mac is going to mirror on my transporter. And because transporter has an app on their iPhone, also on the iPad, those anything in my documents folder on my Mac is also going to be available on the transporter so I can grab it and share it and do anything that I want with it, view it on my iPhone. It's, it's great when I need to grab a file on the go. But what's also great about it is that when I needed to do that nuke and pave on my Mac, All of those files just automatically came back down to my Mac as soon as I reinstalled the transporter software. So I didn't have to worry about restoring them from backups. I knew that I had the most recent copy from the last time that my transporter synced, which was just seconds before I did the erase. Uh, It was just install the transporter app. Boom, the file started to download. And it was wicked fast because the transporter is on my own local network. So those files transferred over incredibly quickly. So that's a little bit about Transporter. Uh, if you're listening to the show and you haven't picked up a Transporter yet, uh, you can take advantage of their special offer for Mac Power users listeners. You can save 10% off your purchase, up to $35 on a Transporter or Transporter Sync model using the coupon code MPU10 when you buy from them at filetransporterstore.com. Transporters come in a variety of different configurations, either from zero gigabytes where you provide your own hard drive or 500, one terabyte and 500 gigabyte, one terabyte or two terabyte capacities. Uh, so head over to filetransporterstore.com and thanks to Transporter for their support of the show. Well, we, we're definitely going to talk about post-production stuff too, but uh, we're going to take a little break in the movie and entertainment business because I got this email from David after we did our photo show saying, <laughs> sir, I respectfully disagree with my endorsement of photos. Um, so you were unhappy with photos. Let's talk about what, what went wrong. I mean, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I was an Aperture user and I, as we all were waiting and waiting and waiting, when is Apple going to update Aperture, which kept getting older and older and less and less useful. Never. Uh, and they ended up saying, oh, finally, guess what? We're not going to forget it. And to me, the new photos app is a real step towards Apple trying to say, the computer is just a slightly revved up phone and I don't want a phone. I want a, I want a computer and I want something that I can use as a power user. And this photos app to me, obviously there are certain things about it that are a step forward. It's nice and clean and it's somewhat faster in some ways. Um, and the cloud sync is cool, uh, when it works. Uh, but I would say, For me, it took weeks and weeks of a lot of headaches before it worked at all. Uh, Then it finally did work. And now it it does work for me now, basically, but it's still buggy and it's still um, hugely hampered by its lack of 
flexibility and features. And uh, I was someone who spent a lot of time tagging because that's the way I liked to organize my photos by tags and by events, um, both of which were basically downgraded in this new version. And I'm just kind of tired of Apple saying, even though you spent years and years learning something to do something the way you want, that's not even an option anymore. You know, um, it, it, it does seem like they're really kind of um, retreating on pro apps. You know, I mean, yeah. we talked, I think on one of the prior shows with you about how, you know, final cut, oh, you yeah. know, they abandoned went, final cut. Uh, I mean, they, they put out this new one, which is really problematic and, and doesn't relate to the old one at all. And I'm not, I believe me, I'm someone who likes to embrace new things and I don't want to hold on to old ways of doing things if the new ways are better, but so clearly they, they dropped a million things from this. They, they said, you can't even, you know, tag a photo with a location. You have to just hope that you took it and properly geolocated it before you imported it. It takes things that should take one click, take, uh, you know, a 20 step process in the new photos. Um, and there's this concept, oh, it's 1.0, it's 1.0. It's like, well, no, I don't want a one. I didn't ask for a 1.0. They've had years and years and decades to figure out how to manage photos. They should be building on that, not starting from ground zero. Um, and the most important gripe I have really is just this whole idea of the curtain being so closed that we never know what they're thinking, when they're planning on releasing something, when, what the new features might be later. So as a professional, you can never plan, you can never understand where to spend your money or what to do, uh, because they're just so tight lipped for reasons that I think are going to backfire eventually on for pros anyway, uh, I just don't understand the notion of saying, here's what it is now and whatever's coming down the line, you're just going to have to guess. And yeah. And, and I, I think that's uh, it's an interesting, uh, let's go taking that meta topic. I want to get back to photos cause there is some stuff to talk about there, but just, you know, the quiet Apple. And it seemed to me like in particular during the days of Steve jobs and Katie cotton, she was the um, head of public relations, I believe was her title VP of PR, but they were so secretive. In fact, I was reading an article by those guys who just did that new book on Steve Jobs and, and Apple gave them access to some Apple executives to interview. And they said the one person that told us nothing was Katie Cotton. I'm like, well, that's of course, that's what she did. Right. And uh, and it's interesting to me because we just had, uh, you know, as a, as a counterpoint, we just had this release of Apple Music. And suddenly Apple really, you know, they, they, they realized they were losing ground because everybody's going to streaming and they weren't going to be buying music and iTunes as single tracks anymore. And it's, it's this company directive. I mean, you can tell that they, they are, I don't want to say bet the company because you can't bet the company in a company that big, but it's something where, you know, you know, pull out all the stops and, and not only are they making Apple music for the iPhone, they're making it for Android and windows. And not only are they doing that whenever there's some kind of hubbub about it, Eddie Q, the guy in charge of it, Apple tweets out about how they're fixing this next week. And it's like, mm. suddenly they're responsive and talking to us. And you can tell that it's because this is really important to them. And the thing that worried me about photos was I, I started to wonder seriously if it was important to them or not, because, oh, yeah. um, you know, because we did have this like dark period with aperture and I know, especially cause we got a lot of feedback on that episode and it's very divisive. And I would say that the vast majority of it is really positive about photos and, and some of it is very negative and nobody was kind of neutral. Like my wife just the other day who hardly, you know, she's not very technically savvy. 
but we were just eating dinner out of the blue. She says, man, I really love the new photos and I love <laughs> the way, you know, and, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, me, I would, you know, we were talking about baseball or something, but you know, the reason that it came up because she took all these pictures on our vacation and they're already on her computer and, you know, everything just worked. And, and she'd never had that experience before. And I think if you're the, starting from scratch, especially, and you really only want to do it the exact one way that they want you to do it, it can be lovely, you know, if, yeah. it, if it works. But, but for, for most of us, we have our own ways we want to organize our photos and we want to have a little bit of control over it. And we also want to just know what's coming up next. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, but in, in her case, I think one of the issues was she was, she went from iPhoto to photos. She did not go from aperture to photos. So the editing tools in photos, I will argue are better than they were in iPhoto. I mean, they're, they're smarter. And uh, I think but, that's fine. But to me, the editing tools has never been the problem. You know, the, the, you, there's always other, there's a million ways to edit photos on a Mac or on a, on an iOS. The problem has always been organization and management. And it was, it was problematic in iPhoto, but still far more robust than it is in photos. And with aperture, it's not even a comparison. Yeah. But I don't know how you used photos recently, because it was unusable. It was terrible. It was terrible software at the end. Oh, iPhoto. Yeah. No, iPhoto was a mess. I mean, as was aperture, I think. But, and so I'm glad that they cleaned out. I'm glad they started over on some level, but they should have released it with at least most of the features that you can't ask people to go backwards and then wait an undetermined amount of time to return to what they needed from what they wanted before. That's the part that's driving me crazy. Like I'm actually still right now waiting to tag all the photos I've taken over the last year and a half or so, because I was waiting for them to update aperture. And then I waited for photos and then that, that they announced photos and then just sort of stopped talking about it for a year. Then they finally released it. And now they're not, it's unclear what, what's getting fixed in El Capitan and what's not. And when, when are they going to give us a keywording interface that's actually usable that we can go back and start organizing our photos again? Because I don't want to start over from scratch and export everything and go into Lightroom because that's, that's a whole other ball of wax. <laughs> and that, that is a problem with this new philosophy that Apple has taken. We, we saw it with Final Cut. We saw it with the iWorks app. And I understand it to some degree is we have to, at some point, tear it all down to rebuild it back up. And, you know, maybe we'll get there at some point with iTunes. I think iTunes is really a candidate, some an app that needs this. But you can't tear it all down and rebuild it from scratch and have the same functionality that you did, you know, especially with when you're the previous talking, version. Especially when you're talking about photos, because photos more than any other kind of document is the kind of thing that people go back to. And you look at old photos and you want to organize old photos from your life and from your family. You know, Word documents that I created 10 years ago, I rarely need to look at again. Uh, I like to be able to know that I could. But with photos, you're constantly, you know, you're pulling up the old photo when somebody's got a birthday. Or you know, and it's just, why not just make it easy? Well, also, I mean, there's probably no other document on your computer that's more important to you than your photos. Exactly, and that's the um, other thing. When the, the the uploading to the iCloud photo library is just buggy enough to me that I'm not sure I trust it, you know. And so now you have to make sure that you have a a, a local backup all the time too. And it's it's I'm. Very disappointed. And I wish they would at least be transparent, like you say they're doing with Apple Music, and at least say, we acknowledge these are the things people are asking for. These are the things that we will fix. Here's when we hope, 
you know, and if they can't, they can't. But, you know, if the, if the dates change, I understand. I'd rather know what they're, what's happening. Well, I can tell you, as the official Apple apologist, the um, uh, geotagging is going to be in photos with the release of uh, El Capitan. Yes, I, I heard that. And they've got a couple, but but um, it's it's not fully there yet. And uh, but uh, I'm still I, I using think... it. I mean, it's it's I haven't abandoned it. I'm I'm using it as my only way of organizing photos, and I haven't I haven't really gone to anything else. So I hope they I hope it works. Another another feature that's coming with El Capitan that I mean the two biggest complaints I had when we did the show on it was geotagging I think needs to be in the app you shouldn't have to use a third party app to, to geotag a photo not only do you have to use a third party app you have to export then geotag yeah. then re-import and then who knows if your other organizational things you've done on photos like the keywords are going to stay it's just a real disaster and then the other complaint I had was I mean on the phone. And iOS, this is an example where iOS is ahead. From the Photos app, the Apple Native Photos app, you can ex- you can round trip it to another application to do work on the photo and bring it right back. Exactly, exactly. You, and you also, do that. and they and they don't uh, the faces does doesn't translate back to the phone or into the iCloud photo library. It's only works locally. Yep, yep. And that's a that's a problem. That's a difference between Apple and Google, where Google does all that in the cloud and Apple does it on the device. Mm-hmm. But and the, um, we, we talked about that a little bit because I had the issue after my Nuke and Pave. How do I restore that photo library? Do I do it kind of like I did with iPhoto and just bring that library file over? And David said, no, just let it re-download. And, but you don't get everything when you let it re-download because you don't get all of the stuff from the cloud. But when well, I dragged also, over that library folder, it churned and churned and churned and churned for hours. I don't know what it was doing. And but they, it didn't, they, they keep the actual photos in that Byzantine coded file structure, folder structure. It's literally saying, like, we don't trust you to look at your own photos the way they are. It's really treating people like babies. <laughs> well, I, I don't see that that way, because I think that the problem is the opposite. We don't trust the application to not freak out if you go in and change the source files. I mean, you have to do it through the application. I mean, that that that's not a not trusting the user problem. That's not trusting the program. But problem to me, because- I'm, I'm of the philosophy, just like with te- with text documents, that if I've got a giant uh, set of photos, I don't want only one app in the world that can look at them. I want to be able to know that somebody can build a better app to organize those photos. And I could use that without having to start from scratch. Yeah. And, and they have a mechanism to export for that. But if I, I, I'm, I'm on Apple's side on that one. I don't think you could make an app that does complex things to photos and let the users also go in and mess with the source documents without having things just go completely wonky. But let me ask you, say I wanted to say, I said, you know what? I, thanks, but no thanks to Apple photos. I'd like to export my entire photo library, all 80 gigs of it, uh, into a format that another program can understand. Can you do that in one move? No. Yeah. You can select all and export to JPEG, and then you could import them. Like if you go over to Adobe, you could. Will just they bring just them be in one giant folder, though, or will they be still organized by date or all the work that um, you put into it? I believe there's a setting. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get like your um, tags. I don't think. Yeah. But I think that there's a setting that you can actually have it include the projects as folders. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, but it, I'd, you know, I'd have to look into that. A Even if it's a backup or as an all, yeah. you know, just, sometimes I just worry about trusting so much to one one set of software that has not proven itself to be perfect. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm with you and I understand, I mean, with photos, it's just so important that they're protected. And like we talked about in the show on it, and we'll say again, you know, none of us 
uh, love this app so much that we're not backing up our photos two or three different other ways as well. Sure, and you sure. should too. Um, the, um, and then the, the external editing thing I was talking about on iOS, that's the other thing that is coming with um, El Capitan. So hopefully like, I'm, I'm really hoping that like applications like Pixelmator get to become my, um, my powerhouse editor where I manage the photos and photos. And then when I need to, to send it something that lets me do local edits, like in Aperture, you had the ability to knock out shadows in your kid's shirt or whatever, when you're right. taking pictures. And uh, ideally when El Capitan comes out, we'll be able to use an app like Pixelmator or maybe even Photoshop to do that. Oh, I'd love and, that. Just, just like you were able to do in both iPhoto and and edit it in Photoshop. I use Photoshop all the time for bigger, you know, work, work on things when I want to use layers and I don't mind that extra step once in a while, but the basic functionality should, should be easy. Yeah. And it needs to be a round trip. And, uh, and they do need to tell us more because you can't just be so autonomous about this stuff to people who are got their lives wrapped up in this technology and, and we pay a lot of money for it too. Yeah. That's number one to me, you know, and also just allow, I think they, they said they're going to allow other companies to make add-ons, right? Cause that, that's to me also crucial. Yeah, they sh extensions. It shouldn't be so closed shop and, you know, it can only work this one way. Like let enterprising people come up with other ways to add on to photos for specific uses. It seems like a very basic and great thing that anyone would appreciate and no one has to do. Well, I do think, you know, on the meta topic that Apple under um, Tim Cook is very different than Apple under Steve Jobs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people, you know, like, um, you know, it just, you know, you're seeing a difference in the way things happen. I was just at WWDC last week and Phil Schiller showed up for an interview on a podcast for an hour. Yeah, which and is he nice. And he answered questions that were not clearly not like rehearsed and some questions which were actually pretty critical of apple and um and uh that just would not have happened that's even good. a year ago so i hope i'm hopeful that they'll get it but i do also think that you know on that other subject of you know final cut and aperture they're a company that is pivoting to say we want to take care of the vast majority of people and the super pro users i'm not sure they're that interested in those guys anymore i think it's been made ultra clear that they're not, which is a shame because they were so great for us for so long. And I don't know what the alternative is exactly, but uh, I do see my colleagues moving on to hardware and software away from Apple after decades of, of using it. Our last sponsor today is our friends over at 1Password. You know, if you've got passwords on your Mac or your iOS devices, you can get yourself into a lot of trouble if you don't take care of them. And it's really quite difficult. I mean, coming up with new passwords for new applications and web services is hard, but 1Password takes all that out, all that trouble away from you. They've got a fantastic application that puts it together with you, whether you're on your Mac or your iPad or your iPhone, it develops the password and it remembers them for you. So you can access it from anywhere. They've got a great syncing mechanism and it's really secure and rock solid. So like I said, if you're on your iPad or your iPhone, you can log into anything. On the iPad and the iPhone application, they also have a great feature called Secure Notes that I love. And it's, to me, the kind of the, the block wall on my device where I can have a separate password-protected device on my system. So uh, check out 1Password. You can go over to Agile Systems. Agile so go over, Yeah. So check out 1Password. Go over to AgileBits.com, and you can see all the offerings they have. They're on Mac, Windows, iOS, uh, um, even Android, no, no matter what system you've got. 
download it, check it out. Uh, like the go and fill features, one that I'd like to talk about a little bit today. If you've got a password already set up in your system, whether you're on your computer, uh, your Mac or your Windows or whatever, tap go and fill, it goes to the website, fills it in and logs you in. You don't even have to go back and remember that long password you generated. These guys have been sponsors of our show for a long time. They are obsessive about protecting your security. And you know what? You need them because there's a lot of people out there that are obsessive about breaking your security. And having one password is like having the A-team on your side. Uh, we're big fans of these guys. We have a lot of users and listeners that have used them over the years. Go check it out. Um, agilebits.com. Thank you, 1Password. Yay, 1Password. <laughs> Do you use it? Of course. Yeah. I mean, and, it's, and I've been pulling teeth trying to get my family on board. And they're like, they're every so often, somebody in my family, especially my dad, is like, God darn it, I, David, I don't know my damn password what do i do i'm like dad i set you up with one password it should all be in there i don't know i don't know <laughs> yeah. family events for me are the opportunity to train another person on one password and yeah it, it and then i know they're safe and that's that's kind of nice because yeah. i'm responsible ultimately for all of them <laughs> exactly. uh, okay i know you're you're short on time but just quickly um you had talked to you about saying for post-production you've upgraded to mac pros has the post-production workflows changed much over the last few years um not too much. I'm waiting for, you know, Avid has the new thing where the actual project file can be in the cloud and your media is on your local machine, which would allow for, for example, a director and an editor to be in separate places and looking at the same exact uh, project and be able to both work on it at the same time, which would be a, is a really great step. We haven't, I don't know if they I think that involves a whole new subscription or something that we haven't looked into yet. And it's very new. Uh, but as far as this goes, I think I just, with the Wet Hot American Summer thing, we had four editors working two episodes each and me bouncing around to all of them and doing some of my own editing in the other room and passing it back and forth. So it was very techy and very, everything was in the Google Docs, which were um, the scripts again. Um, wait, did we do the scripts? I can't remember now. Sometimes we have the whole scripts in there so that we can just make notes based uh, so you know exactly what's being talked about in the edit. And sometimes it's just scene by scene. I think we did scene by scene. Anyway, it was all very uh, Google docy, but I guess it hasn't changed too much over the years in terms of how we do that now. And, and the move away from final cut pro is, is pretty, um, pretty decisive at this point. Isn't yeah. It? Unfortunately, I still have it on my machine. I use it once in a while to cut something small together, but it's, um, they just dropped the ball. I think, you know, if they had kept going in a more, in a quicker and more robust way with even the new one, uh, fine, but they didn't, they, they dropped the one that we had all gotten used to. And then they introduced the new one and then sort of moving slowly on that one too. But I was thinking, you know, if you're scared about photos and storing everything in the cloud, I can't imagine like putting a motion picture or your television series in the cloud like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> yeah but you know that's kind of the i suspect when you come back in a couple of years you may have done that and tell us well that's just the way things are going to be what i will say that's been great is that dropbox has become so uh dependable that i i constantly am making reference to something when i'm giving a note and i'll say hey can maybe it should be like a zoom in shot like this and then i'll pull up an old QuickTime of something i did 10 years ago clip out just using QuickTime player the five second thing i'm talking about within one second, it's become a Dropbox link. And I can say, 
here, look at this, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words and a moving picture is worth a, mim- a million words. And it just really helps. So I don't have to describe things with words. And, yeah. And Dropbox is probably even more prevalent in your industry than it was last time we talked. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of Dropbox, maybe a good way to leave us and, and people always love hearing can you give us just a couple of, you know, what are the apps that you're using, whether they're Mac, whether they're iOS, you know, what are some of these little gems that you just can't live without? Well, I mentioned Annotate, which is what I'm trying to think of ones that not everyone already knows necessarily or uses all the time. I've, I've become a Spotify uh, convert uh, since we last talked. I've kind of just given into that and I enjoy that. And um, I've been using Trickster a lot. Uh, which I know is also what, what is that? Trickster is the one where you hit, uh, and for me, it's Control Z, and it brings up this menu file of the last few applications that you accessed in any way you want, and it gives you an easy oh, okay. way to access yeah. them. It's really sort of a good catch-all. Like, where was that thing I just put away? Um, and I continue to use Better Touch Tool in a bunch of new ways all the time. I'm creating new gestures to do different things on on the computer. Um, I, that's the best app that I've never paid for. Oh my God. Amazing. Well, also and, yeah. and the other one would be NV alt for app. I never paid for. And I actually, after a several year, very sincere try at Evernote, I've given up. I just don't like it. And I don't like the way I don't like the way it works. And I don't like that. It's a separate bucket from the rest of your computer so that you have to search in two different places. If you're looking for a piece of information, um, and so I'm going to start an export at some point and just put it all back into, uh, into my files, into my files and folders. Um, let us, let us know how that goes, because I, I know a lot of people are concerned about Evan David calls it the Roach Motel famously, where it's, it's easy to get in, but not necessarily so easy to get out. It's not that it's not easy to get out. It's just that it, it just doesn't justify itself enough yet for me. And I've tried it a million different ways. I just, I don't care. I, I, it's all, it's, if you have everything in a Dropbox folder, then it's accessible everywhere. It's searchable everywhere. And I just am having trouble understanding. It only just adds an extra step of launching this new application and I'm just not into it. Um, and I'm waiting, I would love it if they updated an NV alt because I've yet to find something that works better. Brett's, Brett's working on it. Not, yeah, not yeah. on NV alt, but um, because I think there's some, the licensing is such that he, he can't or a commercial charge version. for that I would happily, for a commercial version. Yeah. He's working on a commercial alternative. Can't wait for that. And, um, but NV alt still works is rock solid and I use it constantly all day long. Um, and uh, that's it. And I've been using my YouTube app a lot because I've been watching a lot of uh, magic trick instruction videos. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, I just can't get over how much you do, Dave. Yeah. I'm tired. Well, listen. Yeah. Well, it, it, thank you. Cause we <laughs> love it all. And, and everybody, you know, we got to support our fellow nerds and David's really funny show is coming out the end of July. I think it was a July, 30- July 31st. All eight yeah. episodes will be available on Netflix, uh, wet, hot American summer. And uh, it stars Bradley Cooper and Amy Poehler and uh, Michael Ian Black and Elizabeth Banks and Christopher Maloney and David Hyde Pierce and Janine Garofalo and Paul Rudd and Ken Marino and Joel Trulio and Zach Orth and Marissa Ryan, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we are gonna and so whoever enjoy- you've forgotten is now mad at you. Yeah, well, the, we had, the new cast includes, just to tell, give you a little taste, Kristen Wiig, John Hamm, uh, Chris Pine, Michael Sarah, Lake Bell bunch more i i just don't know how you got so many people wait in captain this kirk the new I captain know, kirk exact, not the real exact, captain kirk but the, the, captain the, kirk. the other captain kirk exactly <laughs> wow yeah i forgot to tell you that katie <laughs> now you gotta watch it 
National Watch. Yeah, uh, but and also I believe is is the original available right now on Netflix. It sure is. The original yeah, movie, so, Wet Hot American Summer. So you can do your homework. Just go watch the original, or, which is hilarious. Or watch it in order and watch the series first and then watch the what happens two months later. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, it's it's a great movie, and uh, I can't wait to see everything else. And we, we'll keep following you uh, and all the great stuff you're doing. And in a couple of years, we'll come back and talk more. And It's always a treat, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. well, thank you. And right. we'll have links to everything that we've talked about in this uh, episode on our website at uh, relay.fm slash MPU. David, where do you want to send people for you? Uh, I have a website, davidwayne.com, W-A-I-N. I'm also the same name on Twitter and on Instagram. Yeah, and you Wayne. can find us find us on Twitter. Uh, the show is Mac Power Users. I'm Katie Floyd. David is Max Sparky. And again, David Wayne, thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you all next time.